Good morning, everyone. To follow up on Isabel's story, I used to think what happened with the offerings <laughs> growing up was, you know, because when people, my dad was always doing funerals, and so you bury people so that they go to heaven. And so I thought every Sunday when we received the offering, we buried it behind the church. <laughs> so it would go up to God. Some good logic there. <laughs> All right, we are in week two as we are celebrating Christmas, Christmas in the city. Um, what we love to do here at the City Church is to remind ourselves of a very familiar story. And what can happen to us when we have a familiar story, we, we can lose the, uh, the intended meeting because it's a really big story and we tell it so many different ways and there's so many different movies about Christmas and we have nativity scenes and different things like that. But the story actually has... Uh, profound meaning for the world and then also for me individually. And so we want to go back and just remind ourselves of some of the most important things from the Christmas story. Last week, we talked about joy, that the angels came and they gave this proclamation of joy. And this is what the gospel story, the gospel presentation about Jesus coming to earth, what it means for us um, individually. And then it actually has broad meaning for the world. And sometimes we can miss those things and the familiarity of it, but we don't want to do that. We want to see that it's important to us. So, and some of the things that we see um, in the Christmas story is that satisfies the deepest needs of the human heart. And that means me. And so we want to not personalize the Christmas story in a, in a simple or trite way or have it be non-meaningful, but to have it to have true meaning. And, and again, not to just for me, but when I take in what the Christmas story truly means, it's meaningful, then how I'm living my life and then how I can affect those around me, how it affects my family. Um, how many of you know, you know, we talked about joy last week. How many know your family could do with you and I being more joyful? Amen? No elbowing spouses right now? But, our, I mean, our families, if we're more joyful, we're going to be more of a blessing to our family. We're going to be talking about peace today. And if we have peaceful hearts, how many of that could affect those around us and how important that would be for us to live up? But this is one of the big ideas of Christmas. We just don't want to leave it on the pages of Scripture. We actually want to have it uh, meaningful to our hearts. So here's one of the prophecies about Jesus' birth here found in Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6 says this. <clears throat> For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We've heard this scripture over and over again. We've sung this song. And then it says this in verse 7. <clears throat> of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. <clears throat> so this prophecy is about how Jesus is coming. A child will be born to us. But then it shows significance to that birth and what it means at the coming, the advent of Jesus showing up in the world. And it would say about this government, this rulership, the way he's going to lead and what that might mean to us. And, and we'll see the disciples thought it was going to mean something specific, what it would mean for this prince of peace to show up, that he would rule and there, there would be the government upon his shoulders. 
Well, how is it describing Jesus and what type of ruler would he be? It says that he is the prince of peace. Now, when we think about this idea, the prince of peace, that he is the pathway to God, that we could have peace with God. And then the fact that he rules, that he is a ruler. This is his destined place. This is his rightful place, that he is the king of kings, as we sang about this morning. And then how does he rule? The fact that he is supposed to rule, but then how is he ruling in our lives? See, God will guide us by peace. The enemy will drive us by fear. See, God is not a coercive God. God isn't forcing us to do this, but this is uh, forcing us to do things. But this is how the enemy would come in. The enemy would come in and drive us and make us afraid and make us nervous about our past and about our future. But then the Prince of Peace is going to show up and he's going to guide us. He's going to lead us. He's going to order our steps. And how is he going to do it? He's going to do it by peace. This is the type of ruler that he is. So this idea of a prince, it just means a position, a ruler of authority. And so the question is, who is the prince of my life? So so all the single ladies in a moment, you know, just take a a break from, I'm looking for a prince charming. You know, we're trusting God with you if you want to be married. Um, But I'm not talking about that prince here in this moment. Who is, the question is for all of us, who is the ruler of my life? Who has that seat of authority in my life? And when I think about that, who actually truly has the rulership of my heart? Where does that take me? Because first of all, we have to ask the question, you know, we we can say, I, I know for sure that I've submitted my life to God. But when it comes down to every decision that I'm making, when it comes down to my life and my choices, am I truly yielding it to the Prince of Peace? And when I decide and know who's ruling my life, how is it causing me to think? Because again, it's so easy to let the ways of culture just come in and rule how we think. And then once we figure out how we're thinking, it's deciding how we're acting. How we act, how we truly live our lives will come from who the prince of our life is. See, Jesus, when he was coming, he talked about the gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is simply God's way of doing things. This is what Jesus was talking about when he was showing up. There was a specific way of salvation. And then there was a specific way of yielding our lives to God. And then when we've yielded our life to God, that he has things to say about every aspect of our lives. That we've yielded our lives to the Prince of Peace. And again, peace is not just the absence of war. Peace is the birthright of every believer. It means welfare, wholeness, prosperity, an inner state of tranquility, something that would be going on on the inside of, again, this is how God is leading me. This is how God leads me on the inside. God is not driving me by fear. God is leading me by peace on the inside. And that means as sons and daughters of God, we're not looking for exterior signs as to what the will of God is. And let me, let me give you an example as to what this might mean. And I, I've given this example before, but I know a lot of people do something like this. You know, they're, God, if this is your will, do something for me outside. 
You know, God, if it's your will for me to take this job, have two red cars passed out by the front of my house this morning, then I will know for sure what you're saying to me. But this is not how the children of God are led. God is leading us on the inside by his spirit that we would be God. Excuse my voice this morning, by the way. It's cracking a little bit, recovering this week. Um, God is going to be leading us on the inside by peace. This is going to be the rulership of my heart, not something exterior that I'm just searching for on the outside. No, I'm a child of God. The Prince of Peace is in charge of my life. This is how he is going to lead me. So the first thing that we're going to be talking about today is this idea of peace with God. Now, this is a big theological idea in the scripture. How do I have peace with God? We're going to go through, through, through some theological thoughts. And one of the big thoughts is that without Christ, I am at odds with God. And we want to understand this from Scripture. And it's a difficult thing for us to understand sometimes because generally we think I'm a pretty good person, right? Don't you think you're a pretty good person? Let me describe to you how you think you're a pretty good person and how I think I'm a pretty good person. You ever been on the highway, maybe early morning, it's a little bit clear, or maybe you get a chance to go on the 407, and you know you're speeding. Does anyone want to admit that you know that you speed once in a while, right? We know there's places in Ontario that you can actually drive 120, it's not where we drive. So, but, you know, we're driving 120 because somewhere in Ontario is, you know, not against the law for us to do this. So we're driving 120, 125. Do I hear 130? <laughs> Depending on how clear it is and your eyes are peeled for the OPP, you know what I'm saying? You're watching for the police car, your eagle eye is coming. You know you're breaking the law, and all of a sudden, you're at 1.30 and somebody passes you? What do you think? I'm fine. <laughs> if the police is going to get anybody, it's that guy. That guy's really breaking the law. And this is how we think about our sin. We think the sin that I commit... That's not as bad as that guy. Look at that guy. Jesus, look at him. He's way worse than me. 140? Who are you kidding? And this is how we think we relativize our goodness. And we think I'm surely one of the good people. And if I'm one of the good people, you know, surely there's a place for me in God's family because I'm one of the good people. And we've, we will see this idea presented in movies. It's just kind of a cultural acceptance is like, we're, the, we're the good, we're sort of bad, but we're not that bad. And then, you know, we, you would see certain people take it to hell and you're like, yeah, they deserve it, but not me. But the scripture tells us a little bit of a different story. It's not that I'm good or less bad than somebody else. Right back in the beginning, when God is talking to Adam and Eve, and he says to them, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And what happened? They ate of the tree, but what happened? They didn't actually physically die. They were separated from God. So death in the scripture means something different. When we, when we talk about death, it means separation. So it's not 
it, are we the good people or the bad people? The reality is we're the dead people. In our sin, we are dead. We are separated from God. It's not, am I sort of good? I'm not as bad as that person. And the scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's not some sort of sliding scale of measurement. It's like, oh, we've sinned, and so now I've died. I'm separated from God. And what is the way for me to bridge this gap? How can I bridge this gap? How can I make peace with God? Because apparently I'm at odds with God. How can I make peace with God? So here in the book of Romans, we're going to read three portions of Scripture from the book of Romans. Again, just a big theological book. Verse 21, how can I make peace with God? Now listen, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What does that mean? First of all, the law is something that I keep. The law is something that I do well or don't do well, or I keep a bunch of them, but I miss out on some of them. But here the scripture is saying the the righteousness of God is going to be Uh, manifest is going to show up apart from me, again, excuse my voice, me keeping the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there's no distinction. In other words, this is the same way for everybody. There's no sliding rule. There's no I'm sort of good and sort of not bad. This is the same for everybody. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We celebrate gift giving at Christmas for a reason, for a purpose, is that salvation is only a gift. And so the answer to the question, how do I make peace with God? The answer is you don't. But the goodness of the true answer is that God has done it. God has made a way for you and I to be at peace with him. This is the gospel story. This is the story of the scripture. Because otherwise it would just be some sort of sliding rule of goodness. And I'm certainly not going 140 even though I'm going 130. We would relativize it. And then we would choose it based on how good I am, based on what somebody else is doing. But righteousness only comes as a gift. It's manifest. It shows up separate from law-keeping. Romans 5 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified by faith that I'm putting my trust in God for peace with God. Not trying to accomplish it receiving it. Verse two, through him, we have also been through him, not through me. We have all also obtained access by faith into this grace, which we stand and we rejoice. I, I have one, Esteban, I appreciate it. You can, okay, you can come get this one. <laughs> I was well prepared. <laughs> Here, I will take a drink for you, Esteban, though. <laughs> Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse, uh, Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Now think about that. 
the wages of sin. What are, what are wages? Something that we get paid. And what is the wages of sin? Is death. What did we already say death was? Death is separation from God. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a gift. Man, we don't deserve it. We can't pay for it. And again, to remind ourselves, when we give gifts at Christmas time, after the people open the gifts, we don't hand them the bill. They'd be like, here's your gift, $75.99. That's asking them to pay for the gift. Salvation is a gift that you can't pay for. How do I have peace with God? How do I make peace with God? You don't. God has made peace with us, and we just have to believe what he has done, that we are justified by faith. That's the big theological idea in Scripture, big idea. And then the second thing here that we're going to talk about that is kind of a hard one, it's a hard one at Christmas time, peace with people. How do I get along with people? Does anyone struggle getting along with people? Peace with God is an easy one, right? Because he has made the way for us that I'm justified by faith based on what he has done. But when it comes to peace with people, there's a me and there's a them. How, how are we gonna bridge this gap? How are we gonna get along with one another? Because here's the reality, we just want people to agree with us, right? Anyone wanna admit that that's true? Anyone wanna admit that you know you were at that parking spot first? And they were in the wrong. Have you ever had this recently? I've seen this the last time in a couple of years. I, had a, I was in Christmas a couple years ago. I was driving in a parking lot. And a lady was standing in a parking spot. <laughs> My car was pulling in. I'm like, this is, a, this is a car parking spot. This is not where people stand. And her, whoever her friend was in her car, set, set them free out of the car to go find a spot. And she was standing. I'm like, no, you need a car for this spot. I don't sure if this was the right thing to do. I just pulled into the spot and she moved. <laughs> See, I don't know if I was 130 or 140 in that equation. I'm quite certain she was wrong. But we just want people to agree with us. She thought for sure this was her parking spot. I knew for sure it was mine. And this is the difficulty that we have with people. It's just hard to get along with us sometimes. And man, there's a big movement in culture, generally speaking, to set us all at odds with each other. Here's a bunch of reasons for you to hate people, to not get along with people. They think this, and they think this, and they think this, and so you don't get along with them, and you're at war with them. You're at war with them with your vote, and you're at war with them with your thinking. If people just need to agree with you and the people don't agree with you, oh. hard to get along with people. But you know that God has a solution for us? God has a solution for us. And see, one of the things, again, that the disciples thought was gonna happen, that Jesus, after his resurrection, he was just gonna set up a physical kingdom. And here, this is God in the flesh. And he is going to set up a physical kingdom and he is gonna 
cause everything right because he is going to have a physical throne and he is going to have a physical place where we can have the proper ruler because the Caesars weren't able to do it. And speaking to the future that, oh, we're going to elect somebody and then this person will fix all of our problems and then surely we will all get along. But this isn't, wasn't God's intention by sending Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, again, after Jesus' death and resurrection. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, back to how King David was. Because he was this great king. We had a physical kingdom and you're going to restore it like this, right? Here you are, we're seeing you. You're going to set up a physical kingdom. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's like, wait, you're not setting up a kingdom? He's like, no, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And then he gave geographical points to the end of the world. He didn't talk about a political system. He was saying to his followers, because you have the Holy Spirit, because you're bringing the kingdom of God, wherever you go, you, as followers of me, Jesus is saying, will be able to bring peace. We'll be able to bring the kingdom of God wherever you go, regardless of the political system. Amen. So what is, the, what is the best political system? What is the best thing that we could do? Well, the best thing we can do is have Jesus be our Prince of Peace. So that here in the democracy that we live in, we can be an influence for good. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. If we could just have a Christian prime minister... It will solve all of our problems. I mean, I just opened a can of worms right there with that one for some people. No, the, the point is, it's still an imperfect human being. This is the point. There's no person that's gonna fix all the stuff. The point is, he said to his followers, the Holy Spirit's gonna be in you no matter where you go. You're going to set up the kingdom. The kingdom's in you. So you're going to bring it to whatever kingdom you live in. <clears throat> Practically speaking, Romans chapter 12, how do we get along with individuals? Romans 12, 17. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the sight, eyes of everyone. <clears throat> if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you have any parties planned that some people that you don't like are going to be there? So what are we going to do? As far as it depends on me, they're going to say some stuff. They're going to try to get you going. Do you know those people in your family? They're, going to, they're trying to poke at you. They're trying to get you. And what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on me, I don't know what other people are going to do but I have the Prince of Peace on the inside of me. So I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to help me to say the right thing to bring peace to this situation. This is what I'm saying about a big idea in scripture, 
actually has very practical application in our lives. As far as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace with everyone. Back to the big idea in Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> I, I truly believe that the gospel, and people might think, oh, of course you're saying this, but it's, you're a pastor, and so you, you need to think this. But let's read this together and see how this idea that God has made us be at peace with him can affect the world in really good ways. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. <clears throat> but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So God has made peace with us. I haven't made peace with him. He's done something for me. <clears throat> for he himself is our peace. He himself. Not just, not just the message of peace, not just the ideas of peace, but Christ, he himself is our peace, <clears throat> who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What, what two groups? Jews and Gentiles. So Jews and everybody else. Or really it's any fighting groups. Are there any groups that are told in the world today to be pitted against each other? There are. There's tons of them. Like that culture is setting up hundreds for us to be hostile towards other people. But here in Christ, God has made a way for us not to do that. In, in the ideologies of the world, we're going to be pitted against each other forever, forever and always. But in Christ, the solution is here. Two groups becoming one. <clears throat> By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So where do we have that true now in society? Right here. And I don't just mean at the city church. I mean in the big C church. We, you and I are not hostile towards one another, right? Right? Why? We all think differently about, about a bunch of different things. Why are we together? Why are you and I family? Even though we're born in different places, we look different, we might believe different things about certain issues, but why are we together? Why are we family in Christ? The dividing wall has gone away. This is the family of God in Christ. He is our peace. Not political X or political Y, Jesus. And in Christ, the hostility has gone away and you and I are family. And this is why the church has such potential to make such good, positive impact. And, and this is why we're sad when it doesn't go well. Because there is something special about the church. And again, not just the city church. Where people name the name of Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has gone away. And all the ways that we could be against each other are done away. And we are family. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. <clears throat> by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace. To you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Right now, we have this foretaste in the church. 
And then eventually when Jesus returns, he will restore the whole kingdom. But now we get to live it out in this moment. That you and I, please say amen to this. That you and I are not hostile towards one another. You and I are family. We care about each other. We pray for each other. Amen. This is a big idea of peace. And then finally this, peace in my heart. Colossians chapter three, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one another, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule, the peace of Christ, let it rule. Let it take charge. Let it be in command of my heart. Because there's a lot of things that want to come in. There's a lot of things that want to come in and take over. As Alan mentioned during worship, in this season, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things vying for my attention. And we can do all of these things as we let the peace of God, the peace of Christ, rule in our hearts. This, this welfare, the, the state of tranquility on the inside of me. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this. <clears throat> I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in Christ, in him. He is the one. Keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, keeping our hearts focused on Christ. In this world, you will have trouble. We know that's true, right? But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus said in me that we will have peace. And finally this, Philippians chapter four, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. will guard your heart minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that what the scripture is telling us here, a little bit we have to discipline our minds to walk in the peace of God. You will keep him in perfect peace, the scripture said, whose mind is stayed on you. It's personal. It's you and God. In the midst of the busyness of the season and all the things that we have to do, Man, we can walk in the peace of God. We can be at peace with him. We can be at peace with people who think like us and don't think like us. And then we can have peace ruling in our hearts. Let's pray today. God, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, because of what you have done in Christ, that we have peace with you, that you have made a way for us to know you. And so we stand firm today, Lord, in that that we have a relationship with you. 
We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you didn't leave us in our sin, that you didn't leave us separated from you, but we can walk in this relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, that we can bring the kingdom, the kingdom of God everywhere we go this Christmas season, every day of our lives, that we are bringers of your kingdom because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. And God, on purpose, and we just take a moment to think about Jesus, who is our Prince of Peace, who is our Lord and our Savior, who loves us so much that he made a sacrifice for us, that he didn't leave us in our sin. We thank you, Lord, for your peace today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Finally today, if you aren't in a relationship with God, you feel like you don't have peace with God, like we talked about this morning, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. We talked a lot about the gospel this morning, that salvation is a gift and all you have to do is say yes. So I'm gonna pray a prayer here in a second, just a, a starting point in your relationship with God. I invite you to pray along with me if you've never said yes to Jesus before, or maybe you are you know, you feel like you're distant from God this morning. You know, God is not mad at you today. God is inviting you close to himself. You pray along with me as well today. So church, let's all bow our head and close our eyes and let's pray this prayer out loud today. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So I say yes to that gift today. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my Father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways. And I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with those who made the decision for the first time this morning. We are so happy for you. If that was you, take time to fill out the Connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. Check off, I have decided to follow Jesus. Turn that into our info desk right there in the main lobby. And we have a team that's gonna celebrate with you, smile, and then give you some resources for your new journey of faith. Hey City Church, are you glad that you came to church this morning? I know. I'm waiting for the snow. The rain was a disappointment this morning. It's not exactly what we need. All right, I want to remind you that tonight, uh, young adults, we have our Christmas party tonight starting at 6 p.m., so make sure you are in the house. I'll invite you to stand as we get ready to go. If you came to church this morning, hoping for someone to pray with you or for you, our leaders, they're making their way down to the front of the stage right now. Feel free to go to any one of them, and they'd be more than happy to pray with you this morning. All right, we are Christmas in the City Week 2, and our special treat this week is hot chocolate. And so make sure you grab some in the lobby, make a new friend, and we will see you next week at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We love you so much, City Church. You are dismissed.